the meteor is like a lot of other things in the U.S. It's a business, and um, they have to be concerned. It's particularly survival. What we have is a, a world in which, uh, as one uh, very senior media person said to me, that what sells is conflict and conflict discourse. Welcome to Candid Insights. I'm your host, Sahil Badruddin, and joining us today is Dr. Esposito, Professor of International Affairs and Religion at Georgetown University and Director of the Bridge Initiative that connects the academic study of Islamophobia with Public Square. This interview was published for the Boniac Institute of Rice University. Dr. Esposito, thank you for joining us today. I'm delighted to be with you. You've often criticized that the media focuses on sensational, violent, and negative stories of which the Muslim world has managed to offer over the past few decades. This dominates the news to the exclusion of many positive stories, leading to a skewed perception of the Muslim world. What can be done to address this? That's a really, uh, a really good um, question. <laughs> and the difficulty is, one has to keep in mind that the media is like a lot of other things in the U.S. It's a business, and um, they have to be concerned. It's particularly survival. Uh, um, newspapers and 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 others uh, such outlets. Uh, so, uh, what we have is a, a world in which, uh, as one uh, very senior media person said to me, that that what sells is conflict and conflict discourse. You know, so all one needs to think about is watching some of um, the TV shows, for example, uh, that are supposed to be discussion, but in fact, it's often done in a kind of conflict context. I think that um, there there are a variety of, of things that, that, that can be done. Uh, you know, one is, depending on who the persons are or the institutions, is reaching out uh, to uh, media um, with alternative Kind, kinds of programs. Um, I, you know, I think that that's, that's really important. I think that uh, organizations like uh, UPF, which is based both here on the East Coast, but also on the West Coast, uh, they have dealt with, and, and also uh, MPAC, have dealt with, uh, with if you will, uh, media moguls and organizations and production groups. But uh, for the average person, if you're in a community where you can really mobilize a, a good number of people, then, then I think a writing works. Otherwise, it doesn't. I remember a New York Times reporter was in my office, uh, this was several years ago, and I happened to comment that I was delighted that that day in the New York Times, they had two uh, letters from, uh, from uh, Muslims responding uh, to, to some, and questioning some negative uh, reporting. Uh, and she said to me, uh, just remember that what gets their attention is if there are large numbers of such letters coming in. In other words, it's not as if they just read and pick out uh, a letter that's well written. Um, so I, I think a lot of it is, is that kind of, of strategizing. I also think that, again, where, depending on who the people are, there, there are ways that, for example, if people are running programs, they can reach out to organizations like C-SPAN. Uh, but but you'd have to be uh, in planning your your program. You'd have to be uh, you know recognize that it's got to be something that's going to grab one's attention. I mean, what we do find from studies that have been done, particularly major studies, have been done by Media Tenor T E N O R, and you can find them on the internet. 
Um, and and they, have, they have showed the incredible uh, disproportion of coverage. So, for example, in one of their more recent studies, they found that 80% of the coverage of media in the U.S., Germany, and the U.K. Uh, was on violence and extremism. Uh, and, uh, and then even when you looked at the, the mainstream coverage, it was kind of skewed. Um, you know, the mainstream co coverage was not all, that, not all that good. And some of the mainstream covers like great personalities tend to be dominated by warlords and terrorists. So, uh, and th there's a lot of such material out there. And I, I've also written on it. It, it is a, a, significant, uh, a significant problem. Do Muslims or, and other relevant organizations or groups, particularly in the West, need to rethink their strategy to be more effective in some of the things you mentioned? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that when, when you're up against uh, the, the kind of situation that we're in, I mean, for example, um, we know that given the current climate um, uh, since the, the election of uh, Donald Trump, we have a good sense of the 35 or 40 percent people who rapidly um, support him, uh, and and many of them uh, are anti-immigrant and uh, anti-Muslim. They they follow quote their their leaders uh, uh, their leaders lead, um, and we we know that Fox News has an incredible uh, audience uh, and influence, uh, not only in the United States but globally. Um, I remember the O'Reilly Show, which is no longer on, but uh, a number of years ago used to brag that the, uh, the O'Reilly Show was the most watched television show, you know, sort of globally. Um, so I think that there needs to be uh, there needs to be more of uh, perhaps a um, uh, a cross fertilization of individuals and groups. I mean, there are groups out there that attempt to ad address the issue, care, impact. Uh, you know, a number of them. But uh, I think that it's going to take a lot more muscle. And, and, and frankly, I don't, I mean, I don't know who's going to step forward to be able to, to pull that off. In 2018, the Institute for Social Policy, ISPU, poll, in collaboration with Georgetown's Bridge Initiative, reported that in America, some Muslims have internalized Islamophobic views. Specifically, nearly one-third of Muslims actually agreed with the statement that I believe my faith community is more prone to negative behavior than other faith communities. Fewer than 14% of the other faith communities groups answered similarly. Could you speak to more of these findings? Well, I think that, I think that the, the, those kinds of findings um, do reflect, again, um, the, the climate in which we live today, uh, and in a sense, uh, for some of the folks who, who would say that, for some of the Muslims who would say it, they would be reflecting, um, if you will, the, the everyday world that, for example, in the US, uh, Americans uh, experience uh, it, via a media of the Muslim community. I mean, we have to realize that, uh, to begin with, there are uh, many uh, uh, Muslim countries that are authoritarian, that are oppressive, etc. There are many political and economic uh, issues uh, in those countries uh, and their relations with some Western uh, governments uh, that actually generate not just opposition within a country, but actually feed uh, the growth of violence and terrorism. Uh, so, you know, the, for the average person, 
uh, yes, there there's a lot of of uh, a lot of discrimination that can go on across religions. I teach a course on religion and violence, and all of the religions historically and today have their issues with violence and even terrorism. But the magnitude of it uh, in terms of the Muslim world uh, is, you know, really can seem much greater. But one has to remember we're talking about an, you know, a, an enormous number of countries, and we're talking about you know 1.7 billion uh, people. Right. So, you know, I can see where. You know, for uh, for for uh, for Muslims, uh, this can be an issue. I mean, as as we all know, when when there's a major terrorist attack, you know, many people immediately will say, certainly many Muslims, you know, please God, don't let it be a Muslim. I can understand why, for uh, you know, a minority of Muslims, there's there's that sense that look, you know, we do have a significant problem, and and there is a problem. You've often said that the biggest challenge we face both politically and religiously globally is the challenge of political and religious pluralism. And I, I would say pluralism might be one of the most important issues of our age. So generally, what, in your opinion, are the top two or three challenges to pluralism today, whether it be administrative, social, societal, intellectual, political, any other areas? Yeah, I, I think that... Um well, there are a variety of things. First of all, there's the, the kind of easy one to immediately put out there, and that is it's not necessarily easy to do sometimes. Uh, a much, and we've developed, we're developing a much uh, stronger um, uh, set of uh, uh, programs that deal with interfaith relations. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're not only talking about uh, major conferences and workshops of religious leaders and, and, and religious folks, uh, you can be talking about major programs uh, that are being done. And it's not just visiting a church or a synagogue or a mosque. It can also be um, creating social situations where, for example, a cross-section of religious leaders come together, as well as uh, uh, situations where a cross-section of, of religious folks come together. Uh, I know uh, a, uh, uh, a prominent uh, an evangelical pastor, uh, Bob Roberts, who in addition to holding, if you will, the, you know, the, the more traditional kinds of things also, you know, holds things like, you know, a Muslim Christian barbecue and brings together, you know, religious leaders for the barbecue or some other outdoor activities. I, I also think that um, there, there needs to be more um, situations uh, where, where at every level in, in a very uh, concerted way, not just a natural way, where where uh, people of faith are uh, are interacting. I mean, there are situations where it just occurs. You know, you go to a particular high school or a particular college or university, depending on that place. Uh, no matter who you are, you can be you know thrust into you know a very interfaith kind of context. But but there are uh, many places in the United States where that doesn't exist. One of the things that we find both in Gallup polling uh, over the years, for example, um, it is that you still have a significant number of people who will say that they don't know a Muslim or they don't know anything about Islam. Yeah. Now, I think that's changing more and more, uh, but given the small, relatively small number of Muslims that we have in the United States compared to the population of the United States, uh, it's, one still has to be, you know, uh, I think, uh, active and creating uh, these situations for people to come uh, together. And, and I think it has to happen at every at every level. Um, I've seen some very vibrant programs uh, being held uh, 
not just in places like Dearborn, but also in some cities uh, in Texas. It, it, it takes a creative approach uh, on pe- from religious leaders and, pe- and or people of faith. And in this case, I would say on the part of, of, of Muslims. And I think we have more and more uh, an awareness of ha- addressing that. But I, I think that given the magnitude of the problem of Islamophobia, given the magnitude of the problem uh, post the election of Donald Trump, of a significant increase uh, in, uh, in, in violence, uh, uh, not, not only uh, Islamophobia, but also anti-Semitism, uh, anti, anti-immigrant. Uh, I, I think that you know, we, we are at a point where one has to uh, be, uh, go out of one way to be far more active. And, and one of the positive signs that I do see is that there's more of a sense, the Muslim ban, for example, uh, and the reaction to it when it first kicked in, and you had people of all different kinds of backgrounds and NGOs, a diverse group of NGOs me- members uh, and lawyers going to the airports immediately, you know, at, with follow up. I think that there's got to be a, a lot more of that kind of synergy uh, connected uh, across uh, communities and also across organizations so that, uh, and again, we see some of that so that you, you've got, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, uh, responding to uh, issues that have to do with um, not just black lives, but also Islamophobia and anti-Semitism and vice versa. I think all that's important. I think that the, the, uh, the, the response of Muslims to the uh, tragedy in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, with the, with, with the terrorist, uh, you know, attack in Pittsburgh uh, and, and raising, immediately raising the kind of funding that they did, you know, uh, those kinds of actions are not only important, but those kinds of actions need to be seen more in the media. You see, for example, one of the problems we've had over the years is people saying, why don't Muslims speak out against terrorism? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and that would go on and on and on, when, when in fact you've got you know, thousands of, of, of statements, but they don't get into the media. You can find them on the internet, but not you know, in the media. So I think that it, it, there's also that, that element that when these things are done, uh, important things are done, uh, people need to be, uh, to see and, and, and be aware that, uh, for example, uh, that, that Muslims are involved uh, in issues that have to do with uh, you know, feeding the poor, uh, uh, a prisoner uh, release and, and, and uh, assistance when they're coming out. And, and they do it not just for Muslims, that, that there are individuals and organizations that, that do it for their fellow citizens. Hmm. I want to ask a deeper question about pluralism. Pluralism sometimes gets confused with homogenization, making things similar or uniform. But in reality, pluralism means embracing and respecting difference, seeing it as part and parcel of the world so we can learn from it. Could you speak to the importance of this? Yeah, I think, I think pluralism is the challenge in the 21st century. Uh, and just parenthetically, uh, I mean, I've actually had situations where uh, uh, someone will come up to me and um, they'll have heard me speak about pluralism and say, well, you know, I asked my imam or whomever uh, I said about pluralism. And then the explanation they give me was polytheism. So, um, so we've got a problem with people even understanding where we put the word out. I mean, for example, Bridge says, our title is Bridge, Protecting Pluralism, Ending Islamophobia. Now, what pluralism means is an acceptance of the diversity that exists in our society across the board, the diversity of uh, ethnic groups, nationalities, 
as well as uh, religious groups. And so if we talk about, for example, religious pluralism, uh, it, it, it has taken several decades for people to deal with it. When Catholics first started to get into, or, or when it was raised, to have a dialogue, let's say, with, with Protestants and or Jews, uh, you know, the reaction of some Catholics were, why? What are we going to do, you know? And, and are, they, are, the, are, the, are the people that are inviting us, like if it was a, a group that was initially, let's say, a, a Protestant group, you know, are they thinking about talking about, you know, conversion, et cetera? And, and, and that same kind of attitude exists for, uh, existed for many Muslims uh, when, when the topic would come up in recent years. And, and it still exists with some Muslims. Pluralism means respecting other people. It means, first of all, seeking, first of all, you, you have to spend time. If you live in a multi-ethnic, uh, multi-religious society, you have to spend time knowing about others simply because they're fellow citizens and you're dealing with them and there are issues that have to do with that. So mutual understanding and respect, respecting the right of other people to, uh, to believe what they believe uh, and to, uh, as it were, uh, follow uh, w w a way, you know, a, a way of life that they, that they believe in as long as there's no danger uh, involved, you know, in terms of society uh, and getting to realize that, uh, diversity is actually a strength uh, in societies. W when you've got diversity and you emphasize the, the, the positive in other uh, or, or the richness of other ethnicities and, and, and religious communities, there's a strength there. The problem too often is that people just think of the negative, you know, or, or they're just afraid. I mean, there are many conservative uh, Christians uh, and, and Muslims, for example, who uh, have been and some are still raised uh, in a kind of faith situation in which they basically believe that only they are going to heaven and uh, you, nobody else is going. So it's, a, you know, heaven's a kind of controlled place there. Uh, and the reality of it is, for example, I, I'm, I'm astonished when I hear Muslims uh, who fall into this trap because with the Quran itself and with, with the example of the prophet himself, we see a, a recognition of religious diversity. Um, the community in Medina, uh, uh, the, the sayings of the prophet and the, uh, the interaction of, of the prophet with other, other uh, communities. And the Quran, of course, talks very directly in, in a way that's more direct uh, than, than, than the Bible, very specifically saying that Jews and, and Christians are people of the book. And the Quran talks about that they should not, you know, that they should vie with each other in terms of doing good deeds, etc. There, there are lots of passages um, in the Quran that deal with that. Now, in the Quran and the Bible, there are also uh, passages that deal with, with conflict. But again, those passages have to be seen in the context in which they occurred so that you can have some of the passages that talk about, if you will, the other as a problem will be in a context in which uh, one is, would have been experiencing uh, uh, persecution, you know, etc. So I, I really do think, I think, I think that the issue of pluralism has never been uh, more important, uh, and, and one can see it's never been more important than the world we're living in today. If we look at Europe and America today, you have a rise of the political and religious right, which is often uh, uh, anti, if you will, uh, other groups. It's often a, a white uh, nationalism, political nationalism, kind of social na uh, nationalism, uh, and it's, it's one that is anti-immigrant and uh, anti-Muslim. Uh, 
anti-Jew. Um, so I think that it's not like we're just talking about this, this topic as some sort of intellectual topic or just a topic that is sort of saying, well, you don't really have to care about it. You really do have to care about it because in fact, that kind of, that, that dark side of the use of religion is what exactly has caused the kind of violent terrorist attacks um, that, that, we've, uh, that we've seen in recent years and discrimination that we've seen in different years and legislation uh, or attempts with legislation to discriminate uh, that we see, for example, in the United States, but we also see um, in a number of countries. You have countries like Denmark and others that don't even have that many Muslims, uh, but, but entertain the idea of, of putting refugees, for example, on, on a kind of remote island. Um, and, and Denmark's not the only place that, uh, you know, that's come up with that. Denmark's come up with that because it's seen it, seen it done in other places. Right. I want to shift gears a little bit. You've mentioned that President Bill Clinton got in touch with you when he read a book of yours titled Islamic Threat, Myth or Reality, and then asked you to be a co-organizer of his international conference, which was partially set up to address, again, issues surrounding Muslim-West relations and religious pluralism. Could you tell us a little bit more about your experience and what was the result of the conference? Yeah, yeah you do your research. Uh, let, you. me, let me dig back. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, when Bill Clinton was uh, president, uh, there were people who believed that I uh, had contact with Bill Clinton, uh, that I influenced in his first term foreign policy. Um, there were people who wrote about that. Uh, and, um, but they said, you know, my ideas influenced the foreign policy, but thank God they didn't, the Americans didn't follow the, the foreign policy. Um, so it was a very funny situation for me when after I had, uh, uh, you know, left and, and, and having very often said to people publicly, if they asked me or privately, I don't know Bill Clinton. I, you know, I've, I've never been with him, etc. When, um, when I, I, I got a phone call, uh, from, uh, President Clinton, uh, after he left office, and uh, he did read the book Islamic Threat, and he wanted to do a, a program that that basically dealt with Middle East and with issues in the Middle East. And and so what happened was uh, there were uh, two of us who organized it, and it was held at NYU. Uh, and we had we had panels on the variety of aspects. I mean, we, you know, we were dealing with Palestine, we were dealing with the issue of uh, uh, you know Muslim women. Um, a variety, and it was it was a I think it was a beginning um, and something of a successful conference. Um, but I think that what I what I hope it did is also uh, plant the seeds for then in future meetings that, um, that the Clinton Foundation had. Uh, they eventually moved to dealing more broadly uh, with the with issues that have to do with let's say religion uh, and. Uh, and uh, you know, religion, uh, religious responses uh, to issues of, of violence, but but it was it was just an, an early and uh, an early context. At, at that point, um, you know, government officials really uh, weren't dealing in you know in a very positive and constructive way. I mean, it's very interesting when you think about um, 9/11 and responses to it. I can tell you when 9/11 occurred, I was asked to uh, brief. Um, a group of people, Congress and Senate people uh, and staffers. And what struck me then was not, not just in the briefings, but in private conversations with, with senators who were well-known, senators who dealt with international affairs, like Joe Biden, uh, 
But for them, Biden's case, he's, he's an expert on Europe and specific countries in Europe. And I remember having a conversation with him in which you know, he basically said, and, and others said it too, that you know, for the longest time, uh, the, the Middle East was something that was assigned to staffers. It wasn't something that therefore, you know, the key senators and, and, and representatives uh, really had a strong background on. Uh, and, and that has changed, I think, uh, rather significantly. We now have a situation where uh, certainly, for example, where our foreign service people, uh, our people in the military, unlike when I first got into the field uh, and there were no programs, for many of them now, when, when they are going to the region, um, whatever that region is, uh, where, where, where there are Muslims, etc., uh, they have they have a background in their training. Uh, so, you know, in terms of the religion and culture, uh, whereas that was not the case uh, in the past. And so therefore you had people who were both indirectly and directly feeding foreign policy, uh, but relying on uh, what, you know, a staffer or two might be, uh, you know, writing up for them and, and handing them. Interesting. Speaking particularly of the world today and even the more distant future, you've expressed that fundamentalism including religious fundamentalism, is another top challenge the world faces today. Could you speak about some of the root causes? And of course, we can't generalize as each has its unique background, but are there common causes of it today? Yeah, I, th I think that uh, fundamentalism is a very a difficult uh, topic to deal with because it means slightly different things when you cut across religions. You know, <clears throat> for example, Christian fundamentalism vis-a-vis Right. Sometimes referred to Islamic fundamentalism. I, I think that you know um, you you have in, in in all faiths and certainly in in uh, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Just to limit myself a little, uh, you had ultra conservative uh, interpretations and conservative interpretations of that are not violent, etc. They are just ultra conservative. I think that some of the ultra conservative interpretations, while not violent. Um, are problematic in terms of pluralism in some cases because um, you know you know if in fact you have an ultra conservative interpretation but one that in the end basically sees uh, your your faith as the one true faith and and the rest false uh, and 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 uh, does not uh, reach out to other communities even you know but but rather turns in that's an issue I think that where fundamentalism uh, becomes a problem is when you've got fundamentalists uh, who uh, wind up uh, having a, a, a strong uh, political side uh, and, uh, and drifting into either because of uh, conditions in their own country or the region, uh, but also because of their, uh, their, even their, if you will, their theology. So for example, if, if you are a fundamentalist and you, uh, you basically believe if you're a, a Christian fundamentalist or any fundamentalist, if you have very firm beliefs and you believe this is what God wants. Now, what people can do is many people believe that God wants X and Y and Z. And so we do a variety of things. When you have the sense that, well, wait a minute, uh, if this is what God wants, then I need to impose it. Mm -hmm. You know, my way has to be imposed on fellow believers, but also others in you know, my country. Um, and I think that's where it gets uh, exploited. And, you know, we, we've, we've, you know, we've seen 
that uh, also we we also forget that when we talk about violence and religion and let's say extremism and terrorism, while there can be extremist uh, uh, ideologies, religious ideologies, often the primary drivers are political, social, and economic. Right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and uh, uh, and those those drivers are the kind of drivers that normally will lead some people in societies to become reform-minded and to get involved in politics or to become, you know, to, to, to try to, in, in schools and education, et cetera, to do things. But also, there are others who will seize upon that and use the, these uh, political and social and economic grievances, use that uh, as an excuse for then a kind of religiously legitimated uh, form of action. Uh, to, in, in order to uh, to uh, uh, recruit, to legitimate and mobilize. The example I like to give is, if you take a look at uh, Bin Laden, uh, when you look at his first interview with CNN, major interview, for the first couple of pages, you see a very articulate uh, uh, laying out of, that, of, a, of a worldview uh, with regard to um, past history uh, and, and the impact of colonialism, etc., uh, and Palestine and Israel, okay? It, it's laid out. So but you, it, there's nothing of religion in that. Having laid that out and then said, in effect, look at these injustices, he then says we need to respond, in effect, and that's when he then uh, cites religion in order to then legitimate the mm -hmm. things that he wants to do, to recruit people and to legitimate what he wants to do, and even to go beyond the usual regulations of, uh, of, of Islam. That is to say, um, the situation is so bad that things that normally would be forbidden, you know, we're into a, a situation of survival and therefore it's okay to do X and Y. Mm -hmm. So for example, you violate Islamic law and you wind up, uh, you wind up killing civilians. Uh, you wind up uh, targeting, you know, indiscriminately, etc. Uh, and I think that that kind of religious fundamentalism uh, is a problem. So there are two, two things. I think the first form of fundamentalism being ultra-conservative, uh, on the one hand, people have a right to, to, to be that way, but if, that, if their ultra-conservative fundamentalism uh, is really very narrow-minded when it comes to uh, interfaith relations, um, and uh, uh, then I think it's, it's a problem today uh, in, in a globalized world in which more and more countries are being forced, whether they like it or not, um, uh, to be uh, um, multi-ethnic and, and multi-religious. Uh, the second form of fundamentalism, a kind of hardcore political fundamentalism, that's dangerous when you have people who basically uh, grab religion and say, uh, this is what God wants, and if God wants it, it has to be done immediately, and it, and it has to be uh, imposed, we need to do it. And if even members of our own community do not join in and support, then they too are the enemy. You've, again, you've often said this, is that religious people compare their idealities or their ideals to other people's... Realities. Realities, right. To other people's realities. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that, you know, it's, 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 it's almost a natural human tendency. You right. know, if you ask, if you look at, for example, uh, ethnic groups interacting, or even nationalities, you know, people will, with great pride, many of them will, will talk about, you know, the, the pluses of their, their ethnic group or of their, or, or the positive of their nation. 
um, which is fine. Uh, but that's the way they'll define themselves when they're when they're putting down somebody else. Uh, and I think that happens very much, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to when it comes to uh, religion. Uh, instead of saying, let let's get a sense of to clear the the air in our conversations. Let's first of all get a sense of what are the ideals. You know, what what do we what do we stand for as a faith? Each of us. And then let's also then get honest about, and then what have the problems been, you know, in terms of how we live out that faith and how we treat people both within our own faith uh, as well as people outside. Uh, It doesn't happen, you know, uh, as often as it should. So, for example, when you wind up with Christian fundamentalist and Christian fundamentalist leaders um, and they they wind up uh, uh, talking about uh, acts of violence that uh, occur uh, in Islam, uh, and don't look at the acts of violence that they uh, have done in the past and that they may be even um, legitimating now. Uh, that, that's, and I think we, we run into that. I mean, you know, you run, you run into some hardcore, uh, you know, Christian fundamentalists who, you know, they, they'll, for example, quote the uh, passages in the Quran out of context, but they, but, but they don't refer to the Bible that has many, uh, you know, passages that talk about, um, of committing acts of violence and terror, and even even a, a passage or two of where you have you know God uh, 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 talking about you didn't follow you didn't follow what I wanted uh, what I commanded, and therefore it becomes uh, as as a number of 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 scholars have discussed it becomes a form of genocide you know kill kill everything now uh, now we know how to deal with that we contextualize we develop it so that you know. The vast majority of Christians, you know, the Bible is their sacred book, and those kinds of passages are 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 dealt with, you know, and not 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 taken literally and applied today. But you know, uh, the, the way some will look at the Quran, they'll say, "Well, take take the passage, slay the unbelievers wherever you find them." That comes up all the time. I've had people raise it in the United States, in the UK, all over the place, uh, and they don't they know nothing about the passage. So they they don't realize you look at that passage and. That passage had nothing to do with Christians and Jews, etc. And we also know that the uh, that in fact, when you read some of the the, the passages in the Quran, where 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 God is saying, uh, in effect, you have a right to defend yourselves against these people, etc., etc. Uh, in the very next verse or two verses later, uh, God will say very clearly, uh, "But if the enemy, you know, ceases to be an enemy, uh, that you have to cease your fighting, etc." Okay. Right. Um, and um, I, I think that this this is why, uh, if we're going to move forward, you know, we have to be able to have a, a level playing field and 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 love the ideals in our faith, uh, and but also look at the warts that we've had historically and have today, uh, each side, and not to compare, you know, our ideal to somebody else's, uh, uh, you know, reality, or and or deny the reality and say, well. That has nothing to do with my faith. Well, it, you may want to say, as I understand my faith, my faith does not legitimate that. But it has something to do with it in that you've got members of a faith in the name of the, of the faith uh, committing actions. You know? So we, we have to realize uh, you know, what we're dealing with here. We, we often talk about a vision for the future, but sometimes speak about it in general terms. And earlier we spoke about some of the challenges of globalization. 
and I want to talk about your vision for the future, but in very specific terms, perhaps. Could you name a specific objective you can see the world achieve, let's say, in 25 years? And then what insights and suggestions would you offer that would, that would address and achieve this vision? I think that we have, it's a tough question given the fact that, you know, um, when I say the world's imploding and exploding, we don't know how we're going to come out at the other end. Yeah. Uh, it used to be much clearer 30 or 40 years ago. I think that, you know, there, there are a couple of things that, you know, um, that are certainly uh, conceivable and possible. Uh, number one, that, uh, that uh, things will get so bad uh, in, in different respects that will come to our senses and uh, get back on the right track when it comes to um, issues of uh, uh, freedoms and democratization and that and that uh, and civil liberties and that th those things belong to all people so for example if we're looking at um, you know governments uh, in Europe or the US that things will get turned around right now you look at Hungary Poland uh, the Czech Republic uh, and uh, you know uh, although they they don't have really many many Muslims at all uh, if you look at the new leaders their attitude is very Islamophobic um, and we, we see that in, in our in our own country uh, today, and also a, a real threat to democracy in our country, and uh, and I think in Europe, you know, people you know are aware that these things can turn around. Uh, the debate that's now occurring in in the UK be, over Brexit or, or or going back to relations with the EU, it's clearly that having moved in one direction, there's now a strong sense uh, on the part of many people in the UK that they'd like to get back and to what they see as a, be a better path. Um, I think that also when it comes to dealing with uh, examples in Europe and America, but also in, in Burma, uh, in Myanmar, et cetera, uh, you know, there's every possibility that we can wind up with uh, a movement from below on the part of people, certainly in terms of uh, in, in America and Europe, that at some point, uh, a movement from below that basically says, you know, we don't want to have uh, uh, leaders uh, or to have groups in our society that, uh, that condone bias and discrimination uh, and even at times violence. And we have the ability to do that in many of our countries because we have a set of principles and values that we, uh, that we articulate and have articulated uh, you know, uh, uh, since we came into existence. Uh, that 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 would make for the, the growth of a good governance uh, and uh, you know strong sense of civil liberty. So I think I think that kind of stuff you know has that possibility of turning around. It's why I think you know the next presidential elections, the next congressional elections. We've just seen a real movement in terms of the recent congressional elections. You know, a bouncing back in some ways. Uh, and I think uh, this this kind of movement can can take place. Um, you know, certainly uh, in, in in other countries. I think uh, religiously, uh, where we are, uh, uh, as much as we have a, uh, on the dark side, we have uh, a, a vibrant minority, but it's a vibrant minority that too often um, uh, winds up uh, being able to, um, to hold the day. Uh, but we have, a, a, you know, a, a minority, you know, of people who, um, um, do not operate in a constructive way 
with with regard to uh, interfaith relations. Uh, and uh, but I think there is a, a you know a, we do see people responding to that. So to take a, an outrageous example, when you look at what's happening to the Rohingya and also to the Uyghurs in China right now, um, unlike a number of years ago, we we are seeing more people mobilizing and more you know more people more groups. Uh, you know, uh, raising these kinds of issues, you know, or, or what's happened uh, in Yemen with the kind of bombing that goes on. And now there's a chance that Congress will revisit it. And in fact, uh, you know, and the kind of support uh, that uh, that the Trump administration uh, has given to uh, to Saudi Arabia uh, in its uh, in its war, uh, as it were, uh, in, in Yemen. Uh, and I think at the interfaith uh, level also, there's been Far more um, when, when I get into the field, not only even though there were Muslims in the country, was there an absolute uh, ignorance about Islam and an absence of uh, is- Islam in the public square, as it were, uh, and in our educational institutions, etc. All of that's changed, uh, and and so there's there there is you know much more of a, a potential now, um, and 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 we see we see examples, but but the question is getting the traction, you know. So you have major, for example, major religious leaders get together and, uh, and they are major in these faiths and they, they draw up some very, very good statements. I've been associated with a number of statements, a common word, uh, you know, a variety of them. Uh, but, but, but part of the challenge is after. In other words, you know, do those, for example, religious leaders uh, who have so much uh, on their, on their uh, other stuff on their plate, do they go out of their way to make sure that in the training, in their seminaries, in their madrasas, et cetera, that there's a change of curriculum and teaching that, that educate, you know, for this much more global pluralistic world. Um, and, and, and also, you know, a critical, uh, 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 we, we have a growth of people who are sensitive to this. If, if I look at the Muslim community, we have people second, third generation now who have first rate educations, are more and more in responsible positions, uh, and and can, and also can be, as it were, voices or public voices. Um, and it's 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 a matter of of, of people continuing to, to mobilize, you know, and to move forward. So I think all those possibilities are there. Um, I've seen in our in our project Bridge, um, and the kind of data. If you if you look at our website that we've been able to gather, and the kind of following. I mean, we very quickly moved. We have more than a million people. Uh, following us and a big following on Twitter. And, and there are other groups dealing with the issue of Islamophobia. Well, we've got to see more and more of that. Um, but again, there are hopeful signs. You know, you look at, you look at some of the candidates that have been uh, uh, elected, some of the, the younger people, for example, uh, 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 in, in the last elections. And, you know, they, they, they are a, a generation, I think, that, that are, are, you know, uh, will be, uh, you know, uh, capable of responding to the far more complex situations that we face, not just politically, but if you will, religiously and culturally. So, I mean, I think I think that those things are there, but I think one has to realize that we're still in a, in a very unstable kind of, of situation on a lot of these issues, you know, given, given some of the governments that we still have and the advisors that we still have, um, uh, it's very fragile. I mean, the current administration has some people in there that, you know, that in the past, uh, let alone now, but, uh, you know, would talk about bombing, you know, a city in a country to, you know, 
to, to get it to, to think differently, you know, uh, and, and we, you know, and, and, or talking about invading countries and, you know, rather than, you know, really uh, sticking to diplomacy. Um, so I think that it's a fragile situation, but I think that it's a situation that really should uh, mobilize, uh, you know, all people. And, and, and I, I do see, uh, you know, a, a lot more, at least I'm, I see a lot more in a consistent way, a lot more people, whether one is looking at the internet or one is looking at what happens on the ground, that are putting their, you know, their bodies where their mouth is, uh, that are, you know, where you have uh, diverse people, uh, uh, people, uh, you know, going into the streets, you know, uh, getting involved uh, in programs and projects in which they are, you know, calling for, you know, significant change or speaking out against violence against, against women. So, you know, we made some really great strides there, you know. But, but I think we have to, you know, continue because with the rise of the kind of white nationalism that we see, it's racist and it, it, it threatens, you know, uh, it, it threatens African-Americans, it, it threatens, uh, quote, you know, people of color, you know, all people of color, and, and, and it threatens, uh, you know, different people of faith. Um, so I, I think that, yes, we, we, can, we can move forward, but I think everybody has to keep, keep in mind, you know, that this is not sim simply something that we can say, well, we'll leave it to somebody else. You, you just mentioned the common word and that you were involved in it. And I want to talk about that in relation to this idea of cosmopolitan ethics, right? Yeah. That we as a humanity can come together and have these ethics that we all agree upon, which are inspired, of course, by our faiths, but which we can come together and say, these are the ethics that we believe in. And this would perhaps even include, perhaps this dialogue in the future would include non-believers because we're talking about humanistic values. Yeah. I wanted to ask you in this age, I mean, you're doing the Bridge Initiative, in this age where you have the age of the internet, social media, how can this be more, I mean, the common word, the, the regular person doesn't go and read the common word, right? Um, mm. How do we bring that more to the public square? I, it's a good question. I think, first of all, I should say, you know, that you have an amazing document, at least if you look at the document, in the sense that, um, you know, the scriptures are there, the Quran and the Bible, and, and mine the scriptures. You also have major religious leaders with a realistic approach in the sense of saying, uh, look, you know, we have our differences and we've had significant differences, but we live in an increasingly globalized world and in a dangerous world. And we share uh, responsibility uh, and we have a basis for it, a basic basis, you know, that, that we share in common. And that is the notion of love of God and love of neighbor. Okay. But the challenge, of course, is who is the neighbor in today's world? I mean, that's where you get into the pluralism. Right. Exactly. Because years ago, when the neighbor was referred to in, let's say, biblical times, etc., uh, the neighbor wasn't as broadly cosmopolitan, right. uh, you know, uh, you know etc. And I think that, you know, what struck me was this incredible document, which then got launched at Yale and Cambridge in the UK and then at, at Georgetown in, in different ways. Yet when we did the media rollout, uh, you know, at the National Press Club, the turnout, you know, was not the kind of turnout that I've seen in other media you know, situations. Why? Because, and, and you look at the media coverage, it, it, it's just, it, it, again, you know, in a world that, that, that's interested in, in, in conflict, uh, it will focus on 
actually at times the realities of of a very uh, dangerous and dark minority, uh, uh, but uh, you know not really uh, the more uh, the more constructive uh, kinds of situations. Um, and that's why when I speak here or overseas, I will often say to an audience, uh, "Please raise your hand if you uh, know anything about a common word. Uh, please raise your hand if you know anything about the Amman message." Please, you know, and you'd be stunned at how few people raise their hand, you know, even in contexts where you would think that they would raise their hand. So I think that it really, what we get back to again is, is getting, first of all, I think getting religious leaders and people who are religiously oriented more and more uh, active in the public square. Uh, so it's, it's not, you know, just to say we've got a Morocco statement or we've got a, this statement or whatever. It, the danger is that initially you'll see some impact and then it will disappear. It gets archived. Mm. You know? uh, and it's making it happen now. Now, I see this happening in a variety of, uh, of ways. Uh, when you look at, uh, at uh, churches and synagogues and mosques uh, across the country, uh, it's not that all of them are doing this at all. But in many of them, there's been far more of a movement and openness uh, to emphasizing interfaith relations. When you look at a campus like Georgetown, and you realize that we hired the first, that is Georgetown, the first full-time uh, Muslim chaplain. We, they hired, I think, probably the first time a full-time Hindu chaplain. If you actually look at the number of chaplains that we have at Georgetown, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's amazing, okay? Uh, because it's showing an emphasis and seeing a significance of, of, of religion, uh, religion holistically, not simply see, seeing it in terms of, well, we need to have some folks there to, to simply perform rituals, but rather it's, it's much broader than that. And, uh, and, and I think that, you know, uh, I see that when I travel and I, and I run into people uh, where I'm speaking and they will tell me how they are. I mean, the, the number of, of Muslims that I run into now who are involved in their cities or towns and in interfaith relations is significant. You know, the number of movements that are bringing together uh, people, you know, of faith, uh, not only in terms of religion, but even what we would see as ethics and social policy, you know, uh, you know, the people of faith that responded uh, to what, to the terror in Pittsburgh, for example, uh, recently, in the synagogue, okay, they came at it from a religious point of view, but they came at it also from a very humanistic point of view. There are, you know, lots of people who, again, I think it's one of the things you raise it, and it's, it is important, you know, uh, this old divide between, uh, as it were, uh, atheist, you know, and theist, uh, you know, has, has gotten exacerbated by a couple of atheists that find that they can make a lot of uh, money and attention. So you have a British scientist who's a first-rate scientist, but, you know, many people will say he never has had the, the visibility that he has doing his stuff. Rather than talking about the fact that many of the, the things that we see as important, those of us of faith, uh, not only do we share with other people of faith, uh, uh, but also we share it with people of no formal faith. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the basic uh, uh, mores and, and, and ethics uh, and uh, notions of uh, civil liberties. Now, for a religious person, a lot of these can be that they share it in common with somebody who has no religion, and then it gets buttressed a little bit more because they believe that on some of this stuff, God said to do this, you know what I mean, or commanded it. But, but that's really beside the point in terms of talking about the community itself, that we need to realize that however diverse a community can be in terms of faith and also no faith, we all share, you know, things about, uh, you know, love of neighbor, about, um, uh, you know, uh, is issues that, 
that have to do with addressing social injustice. You know, it's not just because we have prophets and scriptures that have told us that, you know, our, our social movements, some of them have nothing to do with religion, but they do have to do formally, but they do have to do with issues that religious folk have. And I think, I think we're seeing more of that now. Uh, and even as I said before, what I, I find very striking is the extent to which you have NGOs, you know, like, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, Me Too, uh, uh, you know, and, and religious NGOs, but actually coming together around what one would, might say are human and civic issues, you know? Uh, and, and I think that, I think that, you know, we are in a much better spot there. Uh, it, you know, yes, we do have an incredible, and, and we realize that the, the incredible uh, 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 dark uh, uh, right-wing, ultra-right-wing uh, folks that we find uh, who are uh, intolerant, uh, uh, you know, um, and, and, and dangerous and, and existing both uh, in the U.S. and in Europe, for example, or in Myanmar or whatever. But we've got a significant uh, population, uh, uh, percentage of people who, um, who represent far more, uh, a far more constructive side. And I think we're beginning to see that, that coming out, but I think it's going to take a lot more uh, concerted effort to keep it going. And finally, if I may ask on a personal note, what inspires you and what drives you every day? A lot of it goes back to both, uh, to my parents, you know, my family. Um, and, uh, it was, um, not only <clears throat> the way they raised us, uh, but it was the, the, the way they interacted with us. It wasn't just what they said. It was the model that they had. I think it was influenced in my case by the fact that at a very young age, I, I wanted to be, uh, a priest, and I became a Franciscan. Uh, I wasn't ordained a priest, but I was with Franc Capuchin Franciscans for quite a few years. And of course, that you know, when you're when you're when you're following, uh, uh, you know, uh, Saint Francis, uh, you, you know, the the kinds, you know, the, the virtues and values are strong there. And then, um, you know, I I think um, it's it, it's 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 what I uh, have seen in in. Uh, corroborated or, or, or also uh, cross-sections in my study with Islam, but also um, I, I studied uh, Buddhism and Hinduism as well. So, and I draw on those religious traditions because uh, th there's a lot more, uh, in some, sometimes once you get beyond the difference in, in language, uh, there's a lot more uh, cross-fertilization possible. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I have a passion for, I think, um, social justice. Uh, I, I must say, on the other hand, that um, things have gotten darker, uh, you know, for me in the sense that over the years, you know, you, you, you see, you know, a growth, you see, you see, you, you're driven by the fact that there's no visibility, let's say, of Islam at all. And then you see as we move forward, but, but in, in the intervening situation, we've also seen this kind of uh, 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 nasty side of, uh, of, uh, of humanity um, that uh, expresses itself at times, both religiously uh, as well as politically, you know, globally. And so there are some days when you kind of look and you say, you know, oh, gee, you know, you know, where are we now? We, you know, you know, the, the whole idea of two steps forward, you know, but right. sometimes it looks like two steps forward and three backwards, you know, so how do we, how do we get back? And I'm a runner, so I, I know you can overcome that. But uh, 
I think that, you know, I think that that's been a real, you know, issue. Uh, you know, the, uh, on the one hand, to be very specific, uh, Americans, you know, did wind up engaging with Islam, but the, 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 the real engagement came with the Iranian revolution. Uh, and, and that was through the, to see Islam through the lens of, of the Iranian revolution and a lot of other stuff. Uh, you know, a revolution where people were talking about death to America, et cetera, and not have a context to understand that, uh, that, that, you know, has, has made for uh, some, I think some, some, some real issues, but, you know, I, th- I, I generally, it, what keeps me going is, is just, you know, doing, you know, addressing the issues that, that are on my plate, you know, so my teaching, my, my students, uh, uh, the projects that I've run, you know, creating the center at Georgetown and the, you know, that, that took about 20, 22 years of my life, uh, you know, doing that. And, and now with the bridge project and, you know, those things, uh, and you, you know, you meet a lot of other people who, who also serve as examples, uh, you know, for you. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that keeps you going. You feel that, you know, you, you've got, uh, as it were, you know, uh, colleagues, you know, and friends who, who were doing this. So, yeah, uh, it's, you know, we, we do what we can do. I mean, that, that's, I think that's why we're here on Earth. Dr. Esposito, thank you for this interview. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Candid Insights. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on social media for updates on future episodes. If you've already subscribed, please leave us a rating or review. It does help new people find the podcast. I'm Sahil Badruddin, your host, And for a transcript of this interview and others, visit my website at sahilbadruddin.com.